There's a pastor that I know in, in Missouri who was on a mission trip. He was flying on Indigo Airlines, an Indian airline, and he was flipping through a magazine and he came across an article that was titled, You Can Buy God and Take Him Home. And this was an advertisement for a Hindu god, Lord Ganesha. It was a small 24-karat gold statue, and you could buy Lord Ganesha, take him home for $15. That's how much it cost. It came with a one-year warranty, um, so you could take him home. And the ad said that if you want to bring luck and love to your home, you buy God, take him home, put him on your shelf. Now, first of all, I sure am glad God has a warranty because what if he breaks, right? In all seriousness, though, you're not going to be able to buy. I don't, we don't need to buy a God and take him home. That's not gonna, a little statue is not going to bring luck and love to your home. You know, I don't have to, to, I can't purchase God. I can't put him in a box. I don't need to purchase God. God purchased me with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And I don't need to take him home with me because one day he's going to come back and take me home to be with him. There is one true God, the God of the Bible in three forms. God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit, three in one. Don't understand the Trinity, but we know that God is one. He is one God in three equal forms. And there is only one God. And that concept, that truth, is what's wrapped up in the first commandment. As we continue our series this morning on the Ten Commandments, we are going to look at the first commandment. We started this series last week. The Ten Commandments, Ten, God's Blueprint for a Morally Excellent Society. And we do know that the Ten Commandments provide that blueprint. If we want to build a society that honors God, if you want to build a life that honors God, that's morally excellent, if you want to build a family that honors God, it starts with the Ten Commandments. They are God's standard. They are can be divided into two different categories. The reason they cover all of life, it deals with loving God and relating to Him. If I want to know how to relate to God, the first four commandments give me the basis for that. The last six deal with loving others and relating to others. If I want to have healthy relationships with other people, it starts with loving God, but then the last six commandments form the basis of how to do that, how to love other people and relate to other people. The Ten Commandments are God's standard. They were never meant to save us. They were meant to show us our need for salvation. They point us toward our need for a Savior. And that's why the Ten Commandments should always be placed right beside the gospel. The gospel is salvation. You don't earn salvation. It's by grace through faith in Christ. But the Ten Commandments do show us what God's standard is, what He expects. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can now obey God's law. And He provided a way for us to do that. They should be placed right beside the gospel. And they are just as relevant today as they were when God gave them to Moses. Once we're saved, the Ten Commandments guide believers on God's right road, and they guard us, they guard believers from the world's wrong road. They give us, they give us a guide. They are guardrails for life, and they show us how to live. They protect us. They're not, they're not there to, be, to limit us or to be, God's not trying to be mean or to keep us from having fun. He wants to protect us. And these rules form a barrier, form guidelines for us to live by that help us get the most out of life the way God intends. All of us 
want to do that, I think. That's probably why you're here this morning. You want to live a life that honors God. Now, we all have priorities in life, don't we? We have things that are important to us, things that we spend more time and money and effort on, and we have priorities whether we've defined them or not. Intentionally, specifically, you have priorities, and those priorities show up in where you spend your time and your talents and your money. Uh, what's important to you, what you invest in. And if I were to ask you this morning to list your priorities, a lot of people, a lot of us would list a lot of different things. We would talk about our families. We would talk about our jobs. We would talk about school. We would talk about uh, church. We would talk about God, you know, all good things. And we would talk about our different priorities. You may have a lot of priorities in life. Some people have a lot. Some people have few. But only one priority can be your first priority. And the first commandment is instructing us what our first priority in life should be. God wants first place in your life, and God deserves first place in your life. The order of the commandments is very intentional. Number one is number one because it's the most important. As a matter of fact, if I get number one right, the rest will follow. I have to get the first one right in order for the rest of the commandments to fall into place in my life. But number one is vital, and God wants to be first place in your life. He's saying, I am to be number one. No one is to take my place. That is my spot. And you can't put anything else in my place and still live the life that I want you to live and to honor me and to please me. Number one has to be number one. The principle we see in Proverbs 3 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. The Living Bible paraphrases this well. It says, in everything you do, put God first. Put God first and he will direct you and then he will crown your efforts with success. Success by his terms, on his terms, by his standards. So with that in mind, understanding that, that God wants to be and deserves to be first place in our lives, let's look at the first commandment in Exodus 20, verses 2 and 3. God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. commandment. He is the Lord. We shall have no other gods before him. So, how do I put God first in my life? How do I make sure he's first? There are four steps to doing that that we're going to look at this morning. Four steps. The first is this. We need to, direct, we need to recognize who God is. Who is God? Let's, you, know, you may be thinking, well, that's a silly question to ask in church, but do we really understand who God is? Let's look at that this morning. God is speaking to his own people here about his role in their lives. And he says in verse 2, he's, he's talking to the Israelites, his chosen people. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Now again, none of the other commandments make sense unless you get this one right. But if we get this one right, the others will follow. This one's so very important. It tells us so much about who God is. He is a personal God. Just, just that phrase, I am the Lord your God. I am your God. He is personal. He's reminding the Israelites of what he's done for them. He's reminding them that, that he brought them out of slavery and he's making it clear that he cares deeply about them. 
that he cares about human beings. The, the, the name Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, this is God's covenant name. The covenant he had with the nation of Israel. And he is holy, he is separate, he is God, but he also has manifested his presence and he has revealed himself in a way that he desires and makes it possible for his people to relate to him on a personal level. Yes, he is God, he is holy, he is separate, and he should be honored and worshipped as such, but he also is a personal God who cares about his people and wants us to know him and, and wants us to to experience, uh, wants to be known by him. We get the opportunity to be known by him. There's a, a personal relationship that we get to experience with God. He makes that possible. He is a personal God who relates personally. There is, in the Pinellas County Sheriff's a few years ago, the Sheriff's Department, they bought a new rug. And they had this rug in the foyer in front of the counter, and there's a picture here. And if you can see really close, somebody noticed after it was there for several weeks, Somebody looked down, and if you can barely see it, at the bottom, inside the circle, it's supposed to say, in God we trust. Can anybody read what it says? In dog we trust. After several weeks, somebody realized this and said, hey, we might want to fix that. I think that was probably a good idea. They, listen to this, though. They decided they were going to auction this off. They auctioned this rug off for $9,600 and donated all the money to, you guessed it, an animal shelter in Dog We Trust, I guess, is why they did that. But that phrase, in God we trust, in 1956, Congress approved, or Congress recommended, the President, President Eisenhower approved, in God we trust is our nation's motto. Our problem in America is not that we don't believe in God, our problem is that we believe in too many gods. To say in God we trust is an easy thing to say, isn't it? It's printed on our money. We say it all the time. Some people don't like it, but we say it. It's an easy thing to do. But do we really trust in the one true God? Is he really, listen, knowledge of God is different from knowing God personally. I can have knowledge of God and not have a personal relationship with God. There are a lot of people who believe in God. Satan believes in God, but he doesn't have a personal relationship with God. We have the opportunity. God says, I am holy. I am separate. Lord Yahweh, Jehovah. Yet, I, with that name representing my covenant with my people, I relate personally. He is a personal God who gives us the privilege of being able to re relate to him on a personal level. God is a personal God. Look at verse 3. Do not have any other gods beside me. This is the personal God relating to his people. He says, I am your God. So here is the requirement. Since I am your God, you are not allowed to have any other gods. And we're going to see with each of these commandments, there is a negative side and a positive side. Some of the, most of the commandments begin with thou shalt not or do not. There are two that don't. I believe just two that don't. Honor the Sabbath, honor your father and mother. Okay, but they all have a positive side and a negative side. What's the negative side of this commandment? Well, the negative side is you can't have any other gods, right? God says, I'm it, no other. You're not allowed to worship any other gods. The positive side, though, is God says, you can't have me. Think about that. Now, you can't have any of these other gods, whether a small golden statue or your priorities your way, not, not God's way. You got to do things my way. I'm your God, but you do get to have me. You have a, re a relationship, a personal relationship with your creator. 
God is a personal God. He's also a powerful God. He is Elohim. He is omnipotent. He is the all-powerful ruler of the universe. And we can never forget that. Now, we have a relationship. God is our friend. Yes, we can call him friend, but he is also, he created everything and he brought things into being with the spoken word. He is so powerful. We can't forget that God is all-powerful and he is also the particular God. Verse 2, I am the Lord. That's a statement about who he is. Now, think about this. When God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. Moses asked him the question. He said, God, he said, who are you? And what did God say? He said, I am who I am. What did he mean by that? Well, he is. There is no other. He is the only true God. He is the creator of the universe. He is the sustainer of the universe. He controls it all. He was before it all, and he will be here for all of eternity. He is God. And there is no other. That's why he says, I am, because he always has been and always will be. There is no other. None other like him. He is the one and only particular, the one and only true God. And he is all-powerful, but he relates to us. He is specific, singular, and solitary. We read about this in Deuteronomy 6.4. I referred to this last week. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. He is one God in three equal forms, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but there is only one. Matt Smethurst talks about the different beliefs about God that we see in our culture and throughout history. He said there's atheism, which says God is an illusion, that God, there is no such thing as God. An atheist will believe, and we talked about the implications of that last week. If there's no God, then there is no moral standard of right and wrong. It's all opinion. It's all what I feel, what I think. And most atheists believe believe that there is no standard if there is no God because it has to originate from somebody has to decide it's right and wrong. There's also deism that says God is an idea. He's not real, but he's an idea. All right, then there's pantheism that says God is an object. I can put him in a box. Maybe that little statue. God is an object. And there is, yes, there is the objective nature of God, but that's not all he is. He's not just an object that I can control and contain. There is mysticism that says God is an experience. You have people searching for an experience. If I can just have this experience, my life will be okay. That I'll have meaning and purpose and all of those things. But God isn't. Yes, you do experience God, but that's not all he is. And then you have Christianity, which says God is a person. He is real. I can, I mean, in the form of Jesus, he became man. God is also spirit, but he is real. I, can, I can't prove his existence by pointing him out and showing to him to you this morning in a physical sense, but I can experience him. I can see his power and I can experience him in a personal way. God is personable. He's relatable. He's not just some distant object that I can't relate to, that I don't know anything about. He has revealed himself to us through his word, through creation. He's shown himself to be the one and only true God. And he says, I am alone, God. And this is what we call monotheism, one God. 
He is the source of everything that we see, of all ethics, all morality, all the code, the objective code of right and wrong. We have that because he gave it to us. And it's based on the Ten Commandments, his standard, his law, monotheism, one God. It is our responsibility to believe, but then to listen and obey him because he deserves that. He has the right to say what's right and wrong because he created it all. He gets to determine. He sets the standard. We must recognize who God is, and then we need to remember what he has done. What has he done? Well, he created you. Now think about this. God has revealed himself to us in so many ways. For one thing, he's revealed himself through creation. Creation declares the glory of God. Creation screams, I was created by someone. The intricate design, the details, all of the, the, the amazing facets of creation, the human body and how it works together. And, and, and that, that can't be just chance. It takes more faith to believe that happened by chance than it does to believe that somebody designed it with intent and purpose. Creation declares the glory of God. God has revealed himself through creation. He's revealed himself through conscience. The fact that you have within you, you are born with the instinctive ability to know right from wrong shows that there's a God that placed that in you. Now, you can drown that out. You can kill your conscience, absolutely. But when you were born, you were given inside you the innate ability to know, hey, what I'm doing right now is wrong. And the reason you know that is because God placed his divine law inside you. The ability to know what's right and wrong through conscience. But he also, God reveals himself through communication. So we have creation. That's one thing. We have conscience. Conscience can be affected. Creation's distorted by the fall. Well, thankfully, God has revealed himself to us through his word, through his son Jesus coming to earth. He is God's revelation to us. His word is his divine revelation to us. He communicates with us through the Holy Spirit. God has shown you who he is and he communicates to you in various ways. But we have his written holy word to know who he is and what he wants from us. God created you and he has set you apart. He desires to have a relationship with you. So you have to make a choice. We all have to make a choice. Do I believe in God or do I believe in chance that everything happened by chance? Here's here's the reality. If you choose not to believe in God, then you believe there is no order. There is no design. There is only chaos. You believe that everything happened by chance, which guess what means you were a chance. By chance, you were a mistake. There's no meaning or purpose in your life. But we do believe in God. We do believe that he created. We do believe there's divine order and intent in everything that we see and in who we are. We have meaning and we have a purpose in life. God created us with intent and purpose. He He designed you for a specific purpose to be used for his glory and for his kingdom purposes. God created us. There is a God. Psalm 139, 13, the psalmist says, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. God created you. Not only did he create you, he committed himself to you. He committed himself. Look at Exodus 20, verses 2 and 3 again. Let's read that again. I am the Lord your God. I, your, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have any other gods before me. 
Notice this. God is not saying they and them. He's saying you and me. Man sinned. We rebelled against God. We severed that relationship. There was no you and me. But God says, you and me, I'm going to cover your sins with my blood, this blood of my son Jesus. He saved us. He sent Christ to die for our sins. For God, it's always been about you and me, a relationship. He created us for relationship with him. He created us for his glory, yes, and he deserves glory. But he created us because he wanted us to experience a relationship with him and to be known by him. God says, yeah, you broke that relationship, but I'm still, I'm going to give myself. I'm going to be willing to do everything. You don't, you can't do anything to save you, so I'm going to do it all. I give you myself. He was so committed to us that he was willing to die so that we could be saved. There's no greater commitment than that. So God created us, but he's also committed to us. He brings us. He has. If you are a child of God, he brought the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. He's brought you out of slavery to sin, selfishness, self-destruction, and ultimately hell, death. He saved you from that, brought you out of slavery to sin. He is committed to us, and we should be committed to him. He deserves that we should call him God and the only God because he has done all of this for us. We have an obligation to him to live by his commandments. I have an obligation to put God first. So here's the result of this commandment. Let's sum up real quickly before we move on. God is the only true God. All right. You have to believe that if you're going to obey God. He is the only true God. No others. He created. And it's not chance. Everything didn't just happen by chance. He has revealed himself through creation. Creation declares his glory through conscience. I have, I have a moral code in me. I know right from wrong. And he has communicated himself to me through his word and through various ways. He has something to say about right and wrong. I mean, God, he created, he, is, he has created the moral code. If he says it's right, it's right. If he says it's wrong, it's wrong. He has saved us and set us apart. He's committed to us and he has saved us and set us apart. So, we have a responsibility to obey his word. If we don't expect this, we live in a society that's ruled by self. Whatever I want, whatever I say goes, and that creates chaos. And we see that in our world today. If everybody gets to decide what's right and wrong, then your moral code may contradict my moral code, and that's going to create confusion and conflict and chaos. But God says in Exodus 20, verse 2, I am the Lord your God. He's it. There is no other. And if we believe that, we have to reject the competition. Dwight L. Moody talks about, compares this to a farmer who plants an apple tree, and then as the apple tree grows, there'll be little shoots that, that sprout beside it. And, and, you know, the inexperienced farmer would say, well, just let these grow. They look good. They look healthy. But what happens is those, no matter how healthy they look, they're going to suck the life out of that, that main tree. And so the good farmer knows he's got to remove those things. He's got to cut them away, get rid of them, so that the tree that he planted will grow and produce fruit in a healthy way. Well, the comparison is clear. We have to remove anything from our lives, even good things. We've got to remove them from the place that rightfully belongs to God. If we're going to grow as healthy followers of Christ and produce fruit as healthy Christians, then we have to remove anything that would compete for God's place in our life. Get rid of it. Even good things can compete 
for God's place. We've got to get rid of those things. So let's define the competition. If we want to get rid of it, let's define it. Look at verse 3. Again, he says, have no other gods. The key there is little g. Little g. Underline the g. Have no other gods besides me. What is a little g god? Something is a god, a little g, object of worship, when it becomes the source of our self-worth and the ultimate consideration in our decision-making. If that's what we base our self-worth, our value on, and if that's what we use to determine the decisions we make in life, then that has become a God in your life. It's become an idol in your life. And we struggle today. The gods are maybe subtler than in the Old Testament. You know, we think of these huge gods, these idols. They may be more subtle, but they are still very much idols in our life. We have them in American culture. And usually these things which, which Calvin calls shadow deities, they're you know, little, little gods, it, usually these things are good things that God has given us, but we've taken those and we've put them in a place of prominence in our life to where our lives are defined by those little things. Or again, we gain self-worth from those things. Or we base our decisions on those things. Or we seek to find satisfaction in those things. Or we seek to fulfill God-given desires in ungodly ways. We have strayed away from the one true God and these little gods have become dominant in our lives. Some of these things, again, partially... At least part of them are good gifts of, of God, you know, talents, hobbies, families, you know, the relationship between husband and wife, your, your kids, your job, whatever. These things are good things, gifts from God, but we've allowed them to dominate our lives. These good things can easily become idols when we place them in the center of our lives. And here's a good question to ask yourself to determine whether or not you've allowed some of these things, good or bad, to take a place of dominance in your life that's unhealthy. Here's a question. How would I react if that thing or those things were taken away from me? If I lost them. Now, good things that we value in life that we lose, we will grieve. And there will be sadness. The ultimate thing in our life, when it's taken away, our life will unravel and we will fall apart completely. If we lose God, we have nothing. If we lose things, and hey, listen, I know pain, suffering, grief, and I'm not minimizing anybody's loss here today, but even if you lose a loved one, you still have hope in Christ, right? You will grieve and you will be sad, but your life doesn't have to fall apart because you still have Jesus. But if you lose God, you have nothing. So if I lose those good things in my life, or even the thought of that brings panic and despair. I don't know who I'll be without those things. Then those things have taken a place in your life that belongs to God. Even good things, gifts from Him. So we have to understand what those things are. In 1 John 2, 15-17, we're told, Do not love the world or the things in the world the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God lasts forever. You know, it took the nation of Israel long, many long years to learn this lesson. Time and time again, they 
They went to other gods. Even Solomon, David's son, a man after God's own heart, son, married pagan wives and then ended up setting up altars for the people, his own people to worship. He promoted idolatry. And it happened over and over and over again. This was the pattern in the nation of Israel until God did what? He exiled them to Babylon for 70 years. And then they finally learned their lesson. But it took 70 long years plus all the years prior to that. Let's not make the same mistake. God says, I'm it. Only I deserve that place in the center of your life. First place, but in the center. Nothing else. As good as it may be, as important as it may be, nothing else deserves that spot. We have to define the competition. And when we decide to put God first, we have to put him first. Here's how we remove the competition. He's first, but he's also at the center of everything that we do. It's not just first place, everything underneath. It's first place and then How does God want me to handle my family? How does God want me to handle my finances? All of those other things. Put him at the first, at the beginning, and at the center. There are very few people who in their hearts, listen to me, Very, I believe this. There are very few people in this world who in their hearts don't believe that God exists. There may be a few, but there are just a few. But there are also very few people who are willing to give him exclusive right away in their life. First place and the center of their lives. It's not just enough to believe in God. We have to make him the Lord of our lives. God's saying, I want to be number one. I don't want to be just number one. I want to be at the center of it all. I call the shots or not at all. And he deserves that. He deserves to have first place in our lives. Look at these truths. Here's the reality. Either we worship God... Either we worship the God we create or the God who created us. Second truth is this. We either put ourselves and our priorities before God or God and his priorities before ourselves. You can't have it both ways. Either he calls the shots or we do. Either he has first place or we do. Either we worship him or we worship the God we create, whatever that is. He has to have first place. Make the decision. Put God first. Be consistent in your commitment to him. Remove any of the competition. And then finally, rest the case. Settle it once and for all in your mind, in your heart, and in your life. And here's how we're going to break this down. We're going to use the, the, the word first, all right? And we're going to make an acrostic from that, all right? So let's look at how to put God first in our lives. First, we do it by putting God first with our finances. The F stands for finances. God deserves to call the shots there. And you want to know how, what's important to a person? Look at their bank account, look at their calendar, and that'll tell you what's important to them. Want to know what's important to a church? Look at the budget and look at the calendar. Where are we spending our time? Where are we spending our resources? Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. We've been going through an equip class on Wednesday nights. Part of that, we finished it, but part of that was giving. Because this is so very important to faith in Christ. Does God have first place in my finances? Do I recognize that it all belongs to Him? Well, tithes and offerings are one of the ways that we show that he has first place. Deuteronomy 14.23, the Living Bible paraphrases it this way. It says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to put God first in your life. That's why he asks us to do it. 
so that we will trust him with everything so that he will have first place. So how do you spend your money? That's a good question. Has God, does he have first place with your finances? Matthew 6.21 says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where we place our money tells a lot about the condition of our heart. Where we spend our dollars. The second is I, which represents interests. God deserves first place with your interests. Put God first. How do you spend your time? What's your focus in life? Again, you want to know what's important to a person? Look at their bank account. Look at their schedule, their calendar. 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul tells us, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. Everything. Nothing in life is so insignificant that it shouldn't be done with the thought of how would God want me to do this in mind for his glory. Everything we do for his glory. What do you talk about the most? What do you spend time doing? Uh, What's your focus? R represents relationships. The next letter in our acrostic. Put God first in your relationships. If you want God to have first place in your life, your finances, your interests, and your relationships. Who influences you in life? What are the main influences in your life? We all have them. We all have people that we listen to. Who are those people? Are they worthy of listening to? Proverbs 27, 19. Again, the Living Bible paraphrase. What a man is really like is shown by the kind of friends he chooses. Now, I can come to church on Sunday, and I can do all the right things, go through the motions, but who am I surrounding myself with during the week? Because those are the people that influence my decisions, the people that I listen to. Proverbs 12, 26, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Am I choosing my friends carefully? Am I listening to wise counsel? Do my relationships encourage me to grow closer to God, or do they pull me away from God? That's a good question. And this, by the way, includes your friends and your family. I'm not saying abandon your family, but listen, you know, we all have family members that don't believe. And we love them and we care for them, but they, these can't be the people that influence us in terms of what's important in life, in terms of following Christ or not. We have to surround ourselves with people who are like-minded, one of the purposes of the church. And then S represents my schedule. God deserves first place in my schedule, interest, but also my actual time. How do I spend my time? Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 16 says, Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So what dominates your time? Plain and simple. What is it that dominates your time? You know, Rick Warren talks about this in The Purpose Driven Life. And, you know, I've heard people say stuff like this all the time. I've got, you know, 20 things to do today. I've only got time for five. You've been there, right? There are things that fill up our day. And he makes the point, and it's worth it's worth listening to if you've got too many you know god created you intentionally you believe that he created you with purpose he has a purpose for your life he has things that you he wants you to accomplish so if there are too many things in your day if there are things in your day that you can't get done then that means you're doing things that god doesn't want you to do maybe good things and so you got to narrow it down and you got to focus god what do you want me to do with my life Okay, you tell me I'm going to set my schedule based on what you want, which means you may have to say no to some things, which, believe me, as a pastor who likes to please people, I know that's hard. But you have to do it. 
God, what do you want my schedule to look like? It means I have to say no. So put God first in your schedule. And then when you face troubles, put God first. If you put God first in those other areas, it'll be easy to do it when you face troubles. Where do you turn when things get tough in life? That's a good question to ask. Who do you turn to? Psalm 50, verse 15, God says, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will rescue you, and you will honor me. You know, troubles remind us to put God first. You know, how do you know that you've put God first in your life? Well, you don't worry as much anymore. Because when troubles come, you know He's going to take care of you. You're concerned. And I've told you before, I struggle with worry. This is a big deal for me. But I know I'm putting God first when troubles come and I don't worry. I trust him. I'm concerned, but I don't worry because he, I know he's going to take care of me. And when I cry out to him, he'll rescue me in his time and in his way. And in the meantime, he's going to protect me and my family. He's going to take care of me. Put God first in every area of your life. And this will develop a life where God is at the center of everything that you do. You know, when we talk about the church, we talk about the purpose of the church. And, you know, I talked about vision last year, and I'm going to talk about vision again this winter uh, and where we are and where we're headed. We talked about our purpose statement and, and our vision statement, our mission statement, rather, and, uh, and our strategy, you know, connect, grow, serve, and go. This is all wrapped up in this, all right? You know, our desire is we want to connect people to Christ first. That's first and foremost. We want to help them grow in their faith. To grow to spiritual maturity. That's what the equip classes are about. Spiritual disciplines that will help us grow. We want people to find the gifts that God has given them and serve. To use those gifts for His glory. And we want people to go and share the gospel. And we believe if we do that, that that's the strategy for developing people and developing a church that's made up of people who love God, love people, share Jesus, and make disciples. Notice the order there. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. That's it. That's first. And then love others. Love God and love people. It all starts. A balanced life, a life lived for the glory of God, all starts with this commandment. I'm the Lord your God. There is no other. We have to settle that. But if we do settle that, the rest will follow. Who's number one? Put God first. The foundation is essential and everything will follow. I'm going to try to show you this way and help, hopefully it'll help you understand a little bit better. I have a jar of rice here, okay, and a jar of golf balls. Uh, these are the ones that I have not lost on the golf course yet. The rice represents my priorities in life, the things that I think are important. could be good things, you know, but it's things that, that maybe aren't essential to life, but it's things that I want to do. The, the golf balls represent doing life God's way. His priorities, doing things that he says are important first. Now, it's all about priorities. If I try to do life my way first, and then, okay, God, I've done everything I want with my finances, my interests, my relationships, my schedule, and, and all of those things, then, then if that's done my way, then I try to do God's things afterwards with troubles, whatever, then What's going to happen? I mean, I'm only going to get so far. Let's say put God 
Obviously, he can't be first, but Lord, I'm going to worship you. I've put all these other things first. So put God first. And then, okay, I want to connect to you and your church. I want to grow spiritually. I want to serve. I want to go on mission. And God, I want to put you first in my family. I want to put you first in my relationships. And, you know, I'll run out of room. But there's still some left. So what do I do? Well, let's look at it the other way around. We're going to take, not do my thing first. But we're going to do life God's way first, all right? So I'm going to, God, you are the one true God. You are it. All, all alone. You have first place in my life. So I'm putting you first. Now, let's talk about just the connect, grow, serve, go. I'm going to connect to your church. That's, that's priority. So I'm going to connect to you and I'm going to surround myself with people. So I'm going, to, I'm going to follow your design and I'm going to be a part of your church family. I've accepted Christ. I'm growing in you, God. You're at the first place of, in my life and you're at the center of my life. And then I want to grow spiritually. So I'm going to practice spiritual disciplines to grow. I'm going to serve you faithfully. I'm going to learn what you've gifted me to do and I'm going to do those things. I'm going to serve in the context of the local church. And so I'm going to go, I'm going to tell people about Jesus. I'm going to go on mission for you. But there are other important things God wants us to do, right? He wants us to put him first and at the center of our families. He wants us to put him first and at the center of our schedules, like we said. I mean, he wants to be involved in every aspect of our lives. As we raise our kids, how we spend our time, our jobs, all of these things. And the list goes on. God has a plan for your life, whatever that is. He sets the schedule. He determines what's important and what comes first, but he wants to be at the center of it all. So I've put God first. My life is now prioritized by him. Now comes the other things that I think are important, that God's given me a desire. If I put God first, and I'm hoping this is going to work, then I begin to do all of the things that I want. And suddenly we realize... By prioritizing God, my life God's way, it all falls into place. Put God first. Get this commandment straight in your life. And I'm not telling you you're going to have everything that you want. That may not happen. You know, when I did this at home, a few fell out. But I thought about that. And I thought, hey... If I put God first, even if there are things that I want that I don't have, I'm going to be okay with that because I'm going to have what God wants for me. And those things won't have as much significance as living life God's way does. But if I put God's first, I won't have everything that I want, but everything in my life will fall into place in line with his plan for my life. The other commandments will follow. Everything else he'll take care of. And if I'm trusting him, I'll be satisfied with wherever I am in life because I'll know that it's by his design and by his direction. So trust God. Who has first place in your life? Who is it? I mean, you know, this, it starts for us as believers, New, New Covenant, New Testament, it starts with accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. God can't have first place in your life if you don't have a relationship with him. And that comes by salvation through Christ alone. He is the one true God and salvation is only available through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's it. But once you are saved, we need to ask that question. What if I lost everything? Everything that I think is important. What would happen to me? If all I had was God, if, if all I had was Christ, would I be okay? 
I mean, I may grieve, I may be sad, but will my life fall apart? Well, if the answer is yes, if, if all you have is Jesus, then you're okay, then that's a good sign that God's put, you've put him first place in your life. If the answer is, I don't know, then maybe you need to search your heart and ask God, okay, what do I need to do to make sure that you are first place? That my priorities are the way you want them to be. That my life is designed around your perfect plan for me. Submitting to the Lord daily. Putting Him first. And not only first, but at the center of my time, my family, my job, my interests, my hobbies, my friendships, my relationships. All of those things. God deserves to be involved in all of it. To be in control of all of it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for spending time on us. Thank you for allowing us to know you, first of all, personally. You are a personal God who reveals himself to his children, and you give us the opportunity to know you personally. But we know that in order to have that personal relationship with you, we have to trust in your son, Jesus Christ, for salvation. That salvation is only available through you, Jesus, your death, your burial, your resurrection, you paying the price for our sins. And so... If there's somebody here today who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that we would all spend just a few moments with you and that, that if there's somebody here who doesn't know you, that maybe even just during this time of prayer, they would cry out to you, praying the simple prayer of, Lord, I know I've sinned. I know I've fallen short of your glory. I know I've done things wrong, and I know I need to be saved. And I believe that you died for my sins and that you were raised from the dead. Lord, come into my life and forgive me of my sins. Take over my life. I want you to have first place. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here who's praying that prayer now, that as we have this time of commitment, they would come forward and allow me to share with them the next step, what they need to do next. For those of us who know you, this is just a time where we can ask the simple question of who has first place in my life? Does my schedule reflect that? Who do I turn to in times of trouble? What about my finances? What about my interests, my relationships? Does my life reflect, does it prove that you have first place and are at the center? And if not, Lord, what do I need to do to make sure that is the case? That my life is organized around your sovereign plan for me, your perfect plan for me. Lord, just speak to our hearts. And if there are other decisions that need to be made, I pray that we would make them now. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand for our time of commitment?